Pollock trying to steer around. Picked off center. They score! Feather back over to Manny. Splits the defense. His shot. He scores! Back in his own end there was Shillington. Hard collision. BL centering feed. They score! This is Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Sharks AHL affiliate, the San Jose Barracuda. Here are your hosts, Nick Nolenberger and Joey Goldstein. Welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, American Hockey League affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Hello, everybody. Nick Nolenberger here, the radio voice of the Barracuda, along with marketing manager Joey Goldstein. Finally, hockey has returned, Joey, as the Sharks went down to Southern California for the 2019 Anaheim Rookie Faceoff. And really, I don't think it could have gone any better. They went all three games. A lot of young players came out and showed out and played really well over the three-game, four-day event. And you come back, and now guys are ready to go for training camp that will kick off officially on Friday. Tomorrow will be media day. They'll have physicals, and then training camp is off and running on Friday. And, you know, hockey is ready to go. We're ready to go. Guys are ready to compete for jobs. I think a lot of guys you know, rose to the occasion over the last, you know, four days down in Southern California. And, and some guys maybe you didn't expect to, to make a name for themselves um, stepped up to the occasion as well. And um, overall, I think it was a very productive four days. And I think from, you know, a brass standpoint, everybody was pretty excited about how it turned out and how the guys played. I mean, the, the teaser's done. It's over. The teaser's over. It's, it's time to crank it up and really get going here with training camp. And I think, Going down to Anaheim or Irvine is where the, the tournament was played, and, and going in there, playing three games, winning all three, uh, and some in some convincing fashion, and looking real good in the process, uh, has to make you feel pretty good if you're the brass on what the future looks like, but also if you're the Barracuda staff with Roy and, and Mike Chason, Jimmy Bono, all the guys who are down there kind of overseeing the team this weekend you've got to feel real good about what's coming in for the Barracuda as well this season, potentially, and arguably the most talented team we've ever had. Yeah, and, and that's kind of been the narrative, you know, from the brass and from Roy himself. Uh, I spoke to him following game two and a 5-4 overtime win over the Ducks, and I asked him that exact question. Does it make you excited about what's to come and what you have kind of ready to go for this upcoming season? And certainly um, that was kind of what he echoed was how talented this group could be and one of the most talented group he's, groups he's probably ever had. I think everybody kind of looks back at that 20 um, – 16-17 season yep. is really kind of the watermark in terms of, you know, the best team that Roy's ever coached in terms of a talent standpoint. There's a lot of NHLers, a lot of high draft picks on that group, but this team, if they're not as good, they're not going to be far behind. I, I know think a lot of people are excited about it. I think it's, you know, they got to prove it out there, but certainly from a talent standpoint, I mean, this lineup expected to be out there at the AHL level extremely potent, extremely dominant, whether it was collegiately or, you know, during their junior careers. And it's got everybody in the organization pretty excited about what the future has um, has to offer. Yeah, I think if you put this team up against a team from 16-17, I certainly think in the in the talent area, this team legitimately should, should rival them, if not be better, I think, than what we had in 16-17. I think the biggest difference between our potential CUDA team this year and 16-17 um, we've got, may have more depth this year than we did that year. That year, we had guys who were NHL ready, guys who were ready to make that jump. You saw it because the following year, half, you know, almost half that team was playing in an NHL role in San Jose or somewhere else around the league. So guys were ready, maybe a little bit more physically matured. But aside from that, I mean, if you're just basing off talent alone, I mean, what we've seen from some of these young guys is much more impressive 
uh, than maybe some of the talent we may have had back then. That's no disrespect to the, the Western Conference Finals team we had a couple years ago. It was phenomenal. Uh, but these kids coming in here, they are special, and they're something to keep an eye on. I mean, it just gives you an idea how excited people are about this group coming in from, from an upper management point. I mean, you look back at the 2016-17 team. You had guys like Timo Meyer on that team, obviously turning into a dominant player at the NHL level, or Marcus Sorensen, a, a Barkley Goodrill. Um, go down the list, uh, uh, Kevin LeBanc. Um, Tim you know, Heed, Tim Joachim, Heed Ryan. Joachim Ryan. These guys have you know have NHL experience. So still to be determined. I think everybody, though, with the potential that this group has, is pretty excited about what they could mm-hmm. become. A lot of these young guys showed out. I mean, I looked at guys coming in, and I wanted them to, you know, from my own standpoint, just to, to make you feel a little bit better, wanted them to show out in this tournament. Uh, Noah Gregor, who was dominant last year in the WHL, but an overager, so you never know. Joachim Blickfeld in the same boat led the WHL in scoring. And both those guys, I thought, were tremendous. Probably two of the best guys on the ice throughout the three days, th- the three games um, that they, and, and Blickfeld didn't play the final game. Gregor did. And Gregor was, I mean, he was at times dominant. I mean, his, his ability to separate from guys and generate offensive chances off the rush was um, was really exciting to see. Last year, I thought he tried to do the same thing. He tried to go coast to coast. He tried to work his way through the neutral zone, you know, stick handle around guys. Just didn't work. Mm-hmm. This year, I mean, he had a whole different gear. When he turned it on and he had to, you know, put the pedal to the metal, he was separating from guys and off to the races. So, um, it gets you excited for what could be this upcoming season just from a very youthful but very exciting and talented perspective. Yeah, you hope guys can take that next step, right? Especially when you send somebody back to juniors for that overage year because you're right. You never really know what to expect because you're going in and you're not playing against men. You're, you're the man playing against kids, right? So you can easily take advantage of that situation. But a guy like Gregor, a guy like Bookfield, they put in the work off the ice and it just made them better players overall. And I think... I remember we had a we had a big staff meeting here um, at the end of training camp, kind of going into the season last summer. I remember uh, Doug Wilson Jr. is there, and he's kind of showing us how they view things from a hockey op standpoint, and how they look at testing and all this. And uh, some of the names that popped up, you know, the other guy, or the guys you expect, you know, at the time it was your Joe Pavelski's and your your Brent Burns, but right at the top of the list in a lot of categories was Noah Gregor. He's a guy who works his tail off to get to where he is, and he's a guy who, I mean, listening to, to Roy's post-game comments, Gregor's name was mentioned every time, and so was Blitzfield. So those are two guys who are certainly going to have an impact for the Barracuda this year, and you got to be excited about the, you know, the potential they bring, especially the way that they showed off against uh, some other rookies this weekend. Yeah, so the Sharks won all three games. Um, they won 5-4. On the opening day of the afternoon against Arizona, they follow that up with a 5-4 overtime win against the host Anaheim Ducks, and then they wrap it up just yesterday afternoon against the LA Kings in really dominating fashion. They scored five goals in the first period, eventually rolled to a 7-3 to win over the Kings. Now, obviously, these games don't really mean anything in the grand scheme, but it certainly sets the tone, and that's exactly what Doug Wilson told me, actually, you know, going into that tournament and after day one. He said, you know, these young guys are the ones setting the tone going to training camp. These are the, one, these are the guys that are going to get things going, get the ball rolling, and, you know, I think they took that message to heart because certainly guys were ready to go and ready to play, and you have a different goaltender starting all three games. I think uh, you got to be excited about the goaltending depth. Um, Andrew Shortridge played game number one. He looked looked pretty good, too. He looked pretty darn good. I think everybody was excited about the way he played. I mean, he let up four goals, but really no fault to his own. You have these type of you know, quick turnarounds, these tournaments where guys aren't necessarily used to playing with one another. There's going to be a lot of odd man rushes, a lot of kind of grade A chances, and Shortridge was pretty locked in. And then I thought Zach Ch- Sachenko played pretty darn good in the second game as well. And then 
Zachary Mon wasn't uh, overly tested yesterday, but you know he w- was strong in between the pipes as well. And he's another young guy in Imon who will, will head back to junior and get an opportunity to be a number one guy next year. Um, he went, to, I think, 26-0-1 last year as mm-hmm. the number two goaltender of Rwanda in the Quebec, crazy. Quebec League. It's incredible. Um, wasn't even the number one goaltender, didn't lose in regulation. So um, I think Sharks fans should be really excited about the depth at that position and obviously guys that weren't there um, that will be, you know, most likely in the AHL or competing for NHL jobs is Joseph Coronash and Antoine Bebo. So, I mean, you go four, five, six deep, the goaltending position is certainly a, a good thing to have. So I thought that was another exciting um, kind of point over the four-day event. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can kind of go game by game. And, I mean, the, the goaltending, obviously, short ridge looked good. I, I caught the overtime version of the Sunday game against Anaheim, um, which... Uh, I love seeing three-on-three hockey back. And the way the rookie tournament had it set up, I mean, some of these guys maybe haven't played three-on-three before. So it's, it's a lot. It's a very wide-open three-on-three where a guy misses the net and it's an odd man rush coming the other end or a breakaway. And there were a couple breakaways. And I thought Zach Sachenko made some huge saves on one-on-one opportunities with guys who have a pedigree, who have NHL experience or who are first-round picks. And Sachenko wasn't a draft pick. He was an undrafted guy. He's kind of... Played a little bit in juniors. Ended up going to play at, at university in Canada, and and it, he you know he held, he held his own. He, he proved that he belongs to be there. But it was uh, he came up big in overtime. Yeah. Uh, but you know you kind of you look at that first game, right? Uh, Ivan Djokovic goes down towards the end. He lost a tooth, and he posted a picture about it. He lost a tooth, got some stitches, came back here, didn't end up playing the rest of the tournament. But they didn't even need him, which is. For a guy who's as talented as he is, I mean, that's, that says so much about the, the depth that the organization has, right? Um, I thought that game, too, was another one where Gregor, Blitchfield, and even uh, Mario Ferraro all got high praise from both Roy, uh, teammates, and even some of the, the scouts who were kind of rumbling on the internet. Everybody's kind of pretty high on those three after that Saturday game yeah it was uh there was a lot of exciting things you know that you were able to watch just in that tournament just kind of a microcosm of what the future could you know hold for the organization and you know to have the brass there as well is always fun because you you see the guys who make those big decisions the guys who are doing all the hard work behind the scenes you know whether it's the Quebec scouts or or the guys you know doing the the collegiate or, or junior scouting I mean those guys are the ones who are putting the long hours on the road scouting these young players and then you know we see them firsthand at the AHL level and then eventually you know, Sharks fans will see him too at the NHL level, hopefully. Um, but it's cool to see the guys too who, who kind of really had a, a big, you know, role in these guys just becoming members of the organization. So, you know, it's it's almost like they're little babies, like they're puppies mm-hmm. and they watch them in that way. Um, so that was fun to be a part of as well. But I think that was a great point on Sachenko. I mean, he made some really big saves, um, you know, in that overtime session. Eventually, Jake McGrew who grew up just a couple, you know, probably about 15 minutes away from where we're at in Irvine. He ends up getting the overtime winner, and McGrew had a heck of a, of a showcase over the four days. Um, Two goals, four assists, six points in yeah, the tournament. That's impressive. Tournament scoring, so um, we'll see what happens with McGrew. I know there was some discussion, some underlining discussion on, on whether, you know, there was room for him um, this year with the Barracuda. This is the second year in a row he's kind of come in and really made – I understand. I mean, we talked about it last week, but I understand where he was at last season, having just come off the injury. Maybe it makes more sense to send him back to juniors and kind of find his game back. He looked fine uh, in in his junior season, and he's coming back in this year, and he's shining again in this rookie tournament. And if he can come into camp and continue that success, 
it's going to be real, real hard to send him back. I mean, I know sometimes tough decisions need to be made, and, and this Barracuda team this year is going to be deep, but it's going to be hard to overlook someone like that if he has a great camp. I mean, look at guys like, uh, I know it's a kind of a different situation, but Antti Suomela last year, he forced the Sharks' hand. He had such a good camp that they had to, they had to keep him around, right? So th- that opportunity is available for people if, if you can go out and earn it. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And, and the to give credit to, to upper management, I mean, they aren't going to deny a guy if he comes out and performs. You know, they're going to give everybody a, an equal say and an equal, equal opportunity to compete for whether a job with a big club or at the AHL level. Another guy I thought was impressive, he scored two goals in that final game, was Daniel Yurtaik, and another free agent signing. This guy who has pro experience, played in the KHL the last couple of years, just 22 years of age, scored two goals in that final game, and um, an impressive showing for your Tykin. But I think the, the talk of the town, and, and there's no doubt about it, was Arvin, Ivan Yenshenkov, if I could say it. I said it about a dozen times because he scored four times um, during the three-game event. But uh, a guy on a tryout, and we, we talked about opportunities. I talked about it during the broadcast. Guys, you know, kind of rising to the occasion, making a name for themselves if they weren't already known. And he's a tryout guy, and he came in, he scored four times, and now two of them were a little bit of lady luck, but the other two were no doubters, and he was on two-on-one rushes, and he went short side, top shelf, and I think twice he hit the water bottle. So uh, I'm ex- this, is, this was the kid, I mean, we, if you listen last week, and I, I know we talked about it, guys who you kind of were looking to keep an eye on who maybe you wouldn't have expected. This was the guy at the top of my list. I'm, I thought he had a great rookie camp here uh, in, in the end of June. I thought he was you know, he deserved to, to have that second look, which obviously he's gotten, and he's coming back for, for Sharks training camp. So you got to think he's at least in the mix uh, to, to get a, uh, an AHL contract, if not an NHL contract. Uh, but this guy, he's a, he's a tank. 6'3", what is he, 6'3", about... I haven't been able to say 235. 235, I mean, that's a big dude. He's, he puts up points. He's not afraid to mix it up a little bit. Again, I don't know if it's undisciplined or if it's him being an actual, you know, kind of an enforcer, stick up for your teammates type role, but he's a big guy and he's another guy. Him and him and your Tykin were, I think, the two, I mean, obviously we had a lot of Russians in the organization this year, but those two seem to get a lot of praise internally and externally all weekend long. Yeah. It'll be interesting with him, too, because he's 21 years of age. He played two years in the USHL, which is a little bit of a weird path. I mean, you do get some Russian guys playing in the USHL, um, but he played two games in the KHL, which essentially wipes out the possibility of him playing collegiately. So a lot of guys go to the USHL. They end up moving on to the NCAA level. He can't do that because he played two pro games in the KHL. So his option would essentially be go back to Europe or you sign here you know, in North America and you play pro over here. And the way he played in that rookie tournament certainly opens some eyes. He's expected to be at training camp, and, and we'll see if he ends up earning himself a job and whether that's an AHL contract, which would most likely be the case, or he ends up you know, working it into an entry-level deal. But yeah, my guess is, I mean, you know, the Sharks training camp happens. They'll make a wave of cuts probably in the middle of the week next week. I would assume that someone like uh, this kid, Ivan Yushenkov, is is – part of that kind of first wave of cuts but I would fully expect him to be here for the Barracuda camp and have yep. that be his real like measuring yep. stick to see if it's if, if he can stick or not you know yep. um it, it, it's it's worth the opportunity to give him that look and if he can impress again in preseason games uh against grown men the way he did against you know some of these other rookies again kind of like McGrew I mean, how can you not 
how can you not give him a shot? Yeah. He's earned it, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You'd yeah. hate to see a good talent like that slip away because that, that, that happens from time to time where you, you get somebody who comes in and they perform well and they maybe slip away and they, they, they flourish in another organization. You don't really want to see that. If you got you know, lightning in a bottle, you want to keep it. Yeah, at the minimum, five other organizations saw him this, this past weekend because there were six teams. And there. all rivals. Yeah, so and there's several other, other scouts uh, from other teams there as well. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Roy Sommer talked about him a little bit after, after one of the games. And, um, you know, he just gave him the credit of the guys go to the right spots. And, mm-hmm. and when you go to the right spots, you're going to get rewarded. Um, he made the comment that he, he would like him to use his size a little bit more, a little bit better in terms of kind of a physically dominating fashion. But I think that's something that can come um, as this game continues to mature. Again, he's playing the USHL the last two years. So, I mean, it's a different game. I don't think he's opposed to, to mixing it up and having an edge yeah. to his game. Yeah, I mean, he's like I said, he's, he's a big body, so he should be able to do that. My question for you is, having talked to Roy after the game, can Roy say this kid's name? No, 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 not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance but struggling with it? I, 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 saw, I, saw, I, heard, I saw him struggle with McGrew. And that's an easy one. <laughs> so, uh, I, but I know this happens, literally this happens every year with Roy where these new guys come in who he's not super familiar with and he's always got that, you know, trying to figure out. He, I mean, I still don't think he knows how to say Jaden Hobgawaks correctly. Um, but he's gotten you know, better. He's it happens. Closer. He's getting there. Yeah. He's yeah. getting there. Yeah. I mean, there's so many players that come in. It is Roy doesn't care though. what your name is. No, as long as no. you can play. It's he, almost like part good. of his shtick a little bit yeah. where he's just, he's going to call you by the wrong name on purpose. I think other guys picked on it picked up on it too because I, he called Jake McGrew um, McGraw McGraw and then I heard Mike Ricci say the same thing so I don't know if it's starting to become a running joke but that could be a running joke yeah. again but that could also just be Reach <laughs> being Reach you know this he, is true. He's, he's, this he's, is true how about uh, I mean one of the things that also stood out from this weekend you know the the leadership roles that guys were put in I mean a lot of guys wore letters so Keaton Middleton was a captain twice VL was a, a captain once and then he wore an a as well uh but guys like noah gregor thomas gregoire sasha shemilevsky blitchfield and zach galant all wore letters as well uh down the trip so i think you look through that those that group and that pedigree i mean vl was a captain in junior middleton was a captain gregor i believe wore a letter sasha wore a letter Butchie wore a letter. Galley wore a letter. I, I don't know for sure if, if Gregoire wore a letter. So, like, a lot of these guys, it's, we've talked about in the past, but that leadership pedigree that they have is coming in and translating. And that's for some of these guys, too, in their first rookie tournament, not having played uh, any pro games yet. It's impressive to, you know, wear letters on this stage. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it goes into the fact, too, that, You've got a large pool of young players, and everybody essentially is inexperienced. So who are you going to take? You're going to take guys who have already AHL pro experience. But also, as you mentioned, with Middleton and VL, those guys both wore C's during their junior careers. And for VL, um, really considered one of the best captains in the entire Quebec League during his final year when they went all the way to a Memorial Cup championship. So I think, you know, he has leadership qualities written all over him. I think for Keith Middleton too, Sasha Shemlevsky, all these guys are, you know, extremely mature for their age. Mm-hmm. There was no one really at the tournament. I don't believe the Sharks had anybody that was over the age of 22. Um, so everybody's young, but the way these guys compose themselves, especially a, a Shemlevsky, I mean, it's incredible it is how it. well-mannered and uh, how professional and, and you know, how prepared they are to answer questions. I mean, it's I have remarkable. to, I have to, I find myself having to remind my, myself that how young these guys actually are sometimes because, I mean, you, you and I both kind of, we interact with them almost on a daily basis. So we see them all the time. But you forget that these kids are, in some cases, 20, 
they're 21, they're 22. Like these kids are, you know, they're, they're, they're really young, but they carry themselves like they're 27, 28, 29, and they've been around forever. You know, I think it's, you know, good quality people, but whoever's, you know, kind of coaching, it's whether they're raised right or who, who, whatever organizations they're coming from, they're all being taught to do things the right way. I think these guys get it, and it's, it, but it's just, it is crazy. I mean, they're all well-spoken. They're all well-mannered. They're all, like, they're just good kids. And you got to remember that, like, they, they are kids. You yeah. know, it's, you got to constantly remind yeah. yourself. I know. It's, it's remarkable. Sometimes you forget how young these guys are because, again, they, they compose themselves like they're full-blown adults. Right? I, mean, v, v, so. I mean, VL is one for me that, that blows me away. I don't, I, it's crazy to me VL is as, as young as he is, but, like, he's got that very calm demeanor. He kind of carries himself like a, a, from a leadership standpoint, like a John McCarthy type player where it's, he's not going to be a rah-rah kind of guy, but he's going to do things the right way. And he's going to lead by example. And then he plays the game like Barkley Goodrow, who is another great leader that this organization has had in the past who has that leadership pedigree. So, like, it's, it's cool to, to see guys like that and, and see what their, their potential may be. Yep, and that's been an emphasis of the organization, bringing in guys who, you know, have winning pedigrees, have leadership capabilities, um, and, and it shows. And the proof's in the pudding once they get to the pro level and how they're able to perform and, and quickly step into these leadership type of roles. So um, these were a few thoughts from Sasha Shemaleski following the uh, 5-4 overtime win. Another guy who just um, so composed, um, his answers extremely professional, and it surprised you how young these guys really are. But this was Shemaleski talking to the media following uh, Sunday's 5-4 overtime win against the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be a little bit more intense considering we are playing Anaheim in Anaheim. Um, I thought we... Uh, did a great job, uh, you know, after we let up a couple goals, but we bounced back really well. And, you know, when we took the lead, even when we gave up the lead, we still did a great job of, of not panicking. So it was, overall, it was a great win. You know, growing up in this area, being able to have your family here, um, got to be a little bit extra special to be able to, you know, get another goal and contribute to a victory. Yeah, it's uh, definitely nice. Um, from SoCal, it's, uh, it's always a dream of mine to live here when I'm done playing hockey. And I just like uh, representing this part of California. As well as Northern California now with the Sharks, but overall it's just uh, it's really fun. You know, knowing that you're gonna you know be a pro this year, whether you know up in the big club or you're with Barracuda, um, how do you use this you know this little tournament as a good stepping stone going into training? Yeah, it's definitely um, an exciting year for me. Um, it doesn't matter where I end up; I'm still gonna give it my all, and I think uh, I've done a great job so far of just uh, working hard and just making sure I'm uh, developing as a player. You know, finishing up your, your junior career, what was one of the biggest things going into this offseason that you wanted to do um, to prepare for this upcoming season? I just wanted to improve my first step. Obviously, it's a quick league. you got to think faster, and being a little bit more explosive definitely helped, and I think I've done a good job with that. That was Shemalevsky following the 5-4 win on Sunday against the Anaheim Ducks. Again, just uh, such a composed young man and excited about what his future beholds. As we saw him two years ago, jump in with the Barracuda and instantly hit the ground running. It was a big part in the Cuda getting into the postseason, winning their final six games. Unfortunately, we didn't have him last year because his junior club, Ottawa, went on a nice little run through the OHL playoffs. But we are expected to see him this year in some capacity, whether he makes the big club, which there are some conversations, there's a possibility of that, or he's down with the Barracuda, or you would expect him probably to begin just because of his age and, and the depth down the middle. He plays the center ice position. But uh, another guy, another California kid, also like McGrew and even an Evan Weinger who didn't make the trip, um, who have exciting potential and just continuing to kind of grow the game out here um, in, in the Golden State. So um, a lot of fun stuff on tap, Joe. Heading into training camp, um, you know, 
We've talked about jobs being on the line, different opportunities. You know, a lot of the dust will settle over the next couple weeks. Um, the Barracuda will have a roster um, two weeks from now. They'll kick off their own training camp that'll run a week long and then finish off with a couple preseason games. So um, going into the training camp, you know, what are some of the uh, some of the biggest things you're kind of thinking and most excited about, um, you know, for maybe a Barracuda standpoint, but also overall for an organizational standpoint? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Sharks training camp. We may have talked about it before, but I, for me, the I'm I got my eyes on you know what what's going to happen with the Cuda alumni, right? What's going to happen for uh, with these position battles? The goaltending for me is is the big one that's glaring right away because there's five goaltenders who, well, six in reality who all have the ability to play in the NHL or and or AHL, right? So how how is that going to shake out? Are Barracuda going to carry three goalies? Is does a move get made? Like you just you really don't know what's going to happen, right? So that to me is is a big one because I would expect Dell and Bebo and Coronash all get some game time with the Sharks, uh, if not Shortridge as well. So like it'd be interesting to see how that's all going to shake out. I'm watching guys like Gambrell and Suomela and True fighting for those, and I guess Shemulevsky and Chekovic to some degree fighting for these very slim picking. Uh, you know, top 12 forward positions and, and who gets the who gets the cut there, who gets the nod, and who has to come back down and play with the Barracuda for a little bit and, and kind of, you know, earn their stripes to some degree. Uh, and then seeing if there's anybody additionally who just jumps off the page at you who you weren't really expecting to come in and, and, and light up the world. You know, these guys like Lee Bergman and, and Joel Kelman and Tony Soon, like, are these guys going to come in and push for spots to the point where, a guy like Gambrell or Suomelo and True don't have a spot in the NHL roster to start the season, it's certainly a possibility. So uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of unknown, but you, you know, going back to what you said at the start and talking to, to Doug Wilson, like these guys are setting the tempo. If anybody, who you know, whether it's one of the U50s or one of the vets, if anybody had a chance to, to see what happened down in, in Irvine this weekend, if I'm them, camp on, when they hit the ice on Friday, it, the the energy level has got to be at an 11. Yeah. Because these guys are coming in guns blazing after, you know, a strong, strong weekend of this yeah. rookie face-off. Yeah. And, you, I mean, you mentioned uh, the free agent signings from Europe and then the young guys competing for jobs. Even uh, Johnny Brodzinski who's in the mix. I saw today over um, mm-hmm. at, over at Soul for America Ice. Another guy you kind of almost forget about in the fold of, of yep. you know, the, the depth forward position. So I think he's another guy that certainly will have a say in making the big club. And um, that, that's where I'd assume him to start, to be honest, just because that's kind of Dalton where Proud, at. too. Dalton Proud's a guy that the Sharks signed who's – he's – Cuda fans are a little familiar with. He's had some some AHL time. I remember – was it not last year, the year before. I think him and Zach Fry got into it a little bit at one point mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on ice. But those guys, like, uh, you know, how's, how's he going to pan out? Is he going to solidify himself in the top six? Is he going to – Fall into the, the you know bottom seven. Maybe the Sharks carry eight defenders like they did last year. I mean, who who knows at this point? But lots of battles, and it's you know my eyes obviously are, are how where the Cuda guys stack yep. up and how are they going to do? Yeah, that, you want to see everybody succeed. I mean, there is there is competition and there's storylines at all three levels. Really, I mean, you mentioned goalies and forwards, but now leaning into the the defense as well. Mm-hmm. I want to see. Does Jake Middleton make the big club? Does Nick DeSimone push for for a job with the big club? If they don't. 
think about the depth down at the American League level, and it's you know it's Ferraro too. Ferraro's a guy. Ferraro was another guy. I mean, Ryan Merkley, a first rounder, is going to be here. He's going to be competing. He what can about stack himself and against how about a guy like Trevor Carrick? Trevor Carrick comes yeah, in. He's and another where, guy. Where is he in the depth chart? Right, like though. I mean, the way I look at it is, you got your five. You know, you got your your core five sharks defensemen and, and Burns, Carlson, Vlasic, Dylan, and then you, and, and Shimmick, right? Then you've got Heed and Prout. Normally, I would have put it, before Heed and Prout come back, I would have put in Middleton and, and De Simone right there. But now maybe they fall behind those two guys because they've got the NHL experience. But now Trevor Carrick's in the mix. Does does Carrick cop De Simone and Middleton? Because he's a guy who's got a pretty solid, you know. Backstory, pretty good pedigree at the AHL level. Played, I think he's maybe only played one game at the NHL level, but he's still a relatively young guy. Is is he somebody who's, you know, where where is he in the in the call up situation? Maybe he's a guy that they lean on at some point. So defensively, it's it's going to be a grind too. Uh, but that's the beauty of it, right? That's yep. why that's why the Sharks bring in this many people. That's that's it's a good problem to have. Nothing wrong with having depth and. Uh, Hopefully it works out for everybody involved. Yeah, we'd like to say it's going to be clearly defined in training camp. We've seen this every single year. These things carry on throughout the year. And guys kind of, you know, separate themselves. I mean, you could see it two years ago with Tim Heat. You know, he seemed like he was the guy, then he kind of fell off. Wasn't in the lineup for a long time. Yoakam Ryan took the spot, and then it got switched again. So mm-hmm. things can change, um, but it, it's exciting. Get you, get you pumped for training camp and what is to come, and um, still a lot of unknown. You know, we always try to have a barracuda angle here. Um, it's just unknown on what type of group we'll have. I, I think we're going to have a good group, though, no matter who is down with us. You know, the goaltending position is pretty solidified. You expect the D to be pretty solidified, and you expect the forwards to be potent and, and offensively minded. So, um it gets you pumped for what's to come, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks and leading into, you know, preseason games, September 27th to 28th, and then, you know, the opener on October 4th and the home opener on October 11th. So you know, very, we're, we're ready to go. Very, very exciting. Before we go, I mean, it's a big weekend in the football world. You get any comments on the <laughs> on, on what, what happened with the Browns? I mean, we could talk about the Patriots if we want to. We don't no one to. wants to They're hear about good. the Browns I mean, here. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of hype. I'm a diehard Browns fan, if you didn't already know. So we were looking forward to this upcoming season. I think you can't, uh, you can't bury them after one week. But uh, when you don't have an offensive line, uh, you're in big trouble. You kind of forgot about that. So, yeah. You got a good running back, a yeah. good quarterback, some good receivers, a good defense. But you kind of need an offensive you got, line. I, it was it's an important. offensive line that overachieved last year, and now – you know, now they've come back down a little bit to reality, but we'll see. I'm not bearing them yet. If they don't beat the Jets on Monday night, we're in some big trouble. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be that's a good about one. Browns talk. No one wants to hear about it, and I don't want to talk about it. So, that's tough. <laughs> um, all right, I think we're we're now to a weekly standpoint. So we'll start having podcasts coming out every Wednesday on a yeah. weekly standpoint. Next, next week we'll have you. I mean, it'll be in the middle of Sharks training yep. camp. I, I it'll be following. I know there's a scrimmage on Sunday, there's a scrimmage on Monday, so by the time we talk to you, we'll be two scrimmages in and a preseason game in, so we'll be able to get you some analysis there, and who I don't know if there'll be any moves made by the time we talk, but uh, plenty for us to go over yep. what we've seen early on in training camp. Yep, yep, so looking forward to it, and um, we'll continue uh, continue chugging along here as we, uh, we'll pick it up on a weekly basis and, and stop doing the bi-weekly, and we'll carry that into the season. So we'll uh, we'll talk to everybody next uh, next Wednesday. So see you. Go Kuda. Go Kuda.